Hello, welcome back to the Scouted Football Podcast. Uh, it is I, Joe Donoghue, the man behind the mic. Uh, a breathless transfer deadline day has been and gone. Uh, we've seen all sorts of weird and wonderful moves here, there and everywhere. And that is exactly what we are going to discuss today. Uh, but before we get into it, I'd just like to start by reminding everyone that it is handbook season. Uh, you can smell it in the air. Yes, February 2021 means it is getting very close to the launch of our ninth Scouted Football Handbook. Um, and I'd just like to say to anybody who has one, uh, has eight of them, all eight, or, or any number in between, um, a huge, huge thank you, uh, because that has allowed us to make, uh, in our opinion, an even better quartet of books this time around in 2021. Um, has to be said, the illustrations are superb, uh, the analysis spot on as always, uh, and we've even added exclusive interviews, artwork to break things up, and it's all looking very nice indeed. I can't wait for, for everybody to, to get their hands on it. Um, it will be available in print and in digital format as usual. Today on the Scouted Football Podcast, we have the wonderful, the magnificent Ranks FC podcast man and arguably the tallest person in the world of football journalism, uh, Mr. Sam Ty, returning for another transfers-themed episode. Uh, Sam, welcome back. I've I've missed you and your Ibrahima Diallo propaganda. How's it going? Well, Diallo's injured, so you can blame me for that one. Uh, but I'm good. I'm good. I'm doing all right. I'm, I'm keeping on. You know, we're getting through each day as as we go, and I, I'm the same. I've uh, I woke up the first morning of February thinking, yeah, this is going to be a good month. It's going to be a good month. January sucked. February is going to be good. So I'm going with the positive mental attitude. Well, February this this time around is 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 perfect in the sense that on the calendar it lines up perfectly with the 28 <laughs> days, four weeks. Oh, just for, for 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 any perfectionists out there, go into your phone, look at the calendar. It's it's just brilliant. Um, the sad thing is, mate, is that my calendar, because of the pandemic, is so empty that the only thing in any of it is put bins out, put bins out on Thursdays, every Thursday, cyclically. So what looking at the calendar is both a blessing and a curse because the symmetry is beautiful, but the contents of it, very depressing. Damning, yeah. Well, at least you're not, never going to forget to take your bin out because that's something that I always do. And then you hear the bin men coming and you think, oh, bollocks i'm gonna to have to run out in my sliders and not having showered and you know all that nonsense um but any anyway the, the last time we spoke we you, you were just on the verge of of launching uh, the ranks fc podcast um which is fantastic by the way if you haven't listened to that definitely check it out uh, but yourself jack and, and dean having uh, what seems like a, a jolly old time of it i'm i'm led to believe you've just hit the 50 episodes mark we have, yeah, we have. So we're doing three a week. Um, two are on our Patreon, uh, which I'd obviously encourage you to subscribe to if you'd like to support us. And subscribe to Scouted Footballs as well, of course. I do. So I'm a man of my word. Um, but yeah, two on Patreon and one a week still on the, on our Wednesday show, which is free. So 50 overall since launching October. It's gone pretty fast. Um, we're going to be picking up some other assignments and you'll see us on a, a couple of other different platforms in the coming months. So we'll continue to grow our brand and, and spread our wings if you like. But yeah, going independent has been fun, man. Like, uh, I appreciated the the guidance and the editorial help that, that Bleach Report were able to provide in, in our previous guise as BR Football Ranks. But being able to go and make those decisions for yourself is is, is really nice. It's, it's a learning curve, but it's great. And of course, making it making sure that everything you do is, is building towards your own entity, your own profit, your own, uh, your own, yeah, your own company is just it's a good feeling. So it's been good. And uh, if you've listened to any Joe, then I appreciate it. Thank you. 
No, absolutely. Yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a regular uh, listener to that, uh, and it's it, it is good. I just en- I love enjoying sort of the rapport on on the pod, and it's it's great to see sort of everybody doing well with it. Um, and and obviously being your own boss, you know, it's got its it's got a, got its perks. Um, <laughs> but as, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the January transfer window uh, has slammed shut in dramatic fashion, like Dermot O'Leary announcing uh, the votes have gone to deadlock on X Factor in 2010 or something. Um, <laughs> But plenty of moves to sink our teeth into, uh, both permanent and loan moves uh, all across Europe and the rest of the world. Uh, some panic buys, some shrewd dealings, and and something that, that will always be championed on this pod, which is, of course, excellent scouting. Um, Sam, you've, you you kindly gave me a very scientific breakdown uh, of, of the moves that you'd be very comfortable to discuss uh, and the others, uh, some that perhaps you weren't as uh, happy to discuss. Um, I'll leave the floor to you. Who is your your... your your poster boy for the January transfer window. Who was your big mover? Well, I've just done a, an episode on on Ranks FC of the of the best deals of the tran- January transfer window. So there'll be a, a bit of overlap here. But one I didn't talk about on the podcast or, or our podcast was Dominic Zoboslai because I basically wanted to rule out internal Red Bull transfers. I wanted to kind of reward and talk about you know, when you're discussing the best move of the window, January is notoriously difficult. It's a hard place to manoeuvre. You know, you're often up against it. You've probably come up against a, a glaring weakness. You've probably developed something of an injury list or, you know, a, a need has arisen and it's a tight window to manoeuvre in. And in a pandemic hit season, money is tight. So any club that has managed to get away with something here, that has managed to, to pull through a deal that's really helped them, they deserve lauding and rewarding with praise. And, an internal Red Bull transfer, it just doesn't fit that bill. But we're talking about players here. We're talking about moves and players, and we're not necessarily talking about the best deal. So Zobersly is one that I now get to talk about. 23 million or so from Salzburg to Leipzig. Activated that release clause. And let me just tell you, as a big fan of Dom, about as big as it gets for the last maybe 18, 18 months or so, he was not ready for the kind of move that was being talked about early November, which was Arsenal. You know, the hype train at some point overtook Zobersly, didn't it? With the Champions League highlights, with the screamers that he was scoring, I think. Yeah. I think people kind of would have realised if, if he'd have joined a, joined a club like Arsenal in January and become what would essentially be like a, a poster boy signing. You know, he'd be the fulcrum of their attack. He, the pressure that this kind of player would inherit would be inc- incredible. Zobersly's not there yet. What he gets to do now is convert those special moments that he produces every other game or try to work on creating more of those and making them into full 90-minute performances where he dominates games, which is something that he struggled with even in the Austrian Bundesliga last season. He managed to fix that, I think, start of this season. But in the Champions League, again, you see him on the periphery of games, don't you? You watch yeah. those Salzburg games and you're like, who's sticking out to me? Who's grabbing me? Who's grabbing this game by the scruff of the neck? It's not Zobazai, is it? It's Mwepu. It's Kamara. It's, there's a whole list of players that are really standing out and taking the game. And Zobazai drifts in and out. So for him to go to Leipzig, as I say, an internal transfer, gets to, gets to go and play for a similar system inside the Red Bull family, get all the support, all the time he needs. This is perfect. I'm so glad that he didn't leap ahead of his station almost. And he took the right stepping stone move. Because right now, like the way I describe Zobersly to people that haven't seen him is he's the Hungarian Gilfie Sigurdsson, right? <laughs> because he has these unbelievable moments, these set pieces, these long shots, but he drifts in and out of games. The hype, the expectation that you would have got from Zobersly if he'd gone somewhere else, 
it would have been overwhelming and it wouldn't have been in keeping with what he is. Now he gets to put those building blocks in place and I think he's he's taken the perfect move. And, and that's that's something I love because I look, I love Zobazai. I love watching him play and I, I'd hate for him to, to be swallowed up in the hype and the expectation. So I'm pleased that he's made this move and Leipzig get a really good player, don't they? Yeah, I mean, you're right in saying that it, this, the hype could have broken him or swallowed him up because, you know, he's, realistically, he hasn't played any sort of top, top level football apart from perhaps in international games um, because he's been in the Austrian Bundesliga, you know, and he's been playing in the, by far and away, the best team in the Austrian Bundesliga. Um, and it, it, we, I mean, we we kind of jumped on the bandwagon of you know describing him as a, as a highlight reel footballer because um, you know he 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 is a highlight reel footballer and that's that's one of his strengths. Um, it's not to be used as a as a, a stick to beat him with or, or as a drawback. You know he scored um, six goals direct from free kicks uh, between September 2019 and September 2020. I mean that's they're ridiculous numbers. I mean it's like the the Hungarian James Ward Prowse. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to, you know, it turns free kicks into into penalty situations. You know, um, but I think yeah, he's he's made a good move. Obviously, it's an internal Red Bull transfer, um, but he com- he comes in to a club which is obviously going to nurture him. Um, you know, there's 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 a stepping stone element to it. You know, going moving up the the Red Bull gears, um, so to speak. Uh, and I think that the with Julian Nagelsmann there, he's obviously a very tactically innovative coach. If there was going to be anybody in world football who was perhaps going to be patient with him, um, maybe you know really nurture him to become this consistent player, um, then I think it would be someone of Nagelsmann's ilk. You know, someone who's, I mean, in in his managerial in managerial terms, equally very young, just like Zobsly. So you know, he he's going to understand that he's going to be learning. Um, you know, a lot of Nagelsmann's background has been working with young players. Um, so I think from a from a coach-player relationship standpoint, um, there's everything to suggest that, you know, he'll do well there. Um, and just from a pure entertainment perspective, Leipzig are just fun to watch. You know, when he gets into a regular groove of playing football um, with them, I think, you know, on on the left of that uh, 4-2-2-2 that they, that they play, uh, the, the penultimate two that I've just said there, um, you know he he's going to be a real a real force um, coming off that side. So yeah, I, I'm I'm glad he didn't go to an Arsenal. I'm glad he didn't go to an AC Milan. You know, uh, th- there would have been the risk that he could have sort of burnt out his his spark very early. But yeah, he's um he's he's definitely we always say it, but he's one to watch. Like you know, if if he really takes off in the Bundesliga, which has always been more of a development focused league anyway, you know, he could or he could really really hit the heights and. I'm I'm looking forward to to him being at the at the European Championships, obviously, um, yeah. in in the summer. I think that'll be, you know, his 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 mainstream breakout. If if the Austrian Bundesliga has been his hipster breakout, then the Euros will be his mainstream. Yeah, probably. I mean, look, it is it is probably that stepping stone move. But look, Nagelsmann will understand him, and he comes with a full internal brief, you know, a full internal scouting report. The Red Bull system know exactly what he is and isn't about, and. I personally believe, and it's not based on any knowledge. I just, I'm just tracking things in my head and seeing how things can turn out. Nagelsmann is going to leave this job in the next two years. I wouldn't be surprised if he's the next Bayern manager or something similar. And I think that Jesse Marsh will end up making the move. You know, just as he as he already has done uh, from New York into Salzburg and then from Salzburg into Leipzig. And if Zobersai is still there when that happens, then Jesse Marsh is is a is a man who has played a huge huge role 
in Zobazai's early career in understanding him, in motivating him, in developing him and improving him in, in many, many different ways. You know, he started the process of turning Zobazai into a moments player, into a more dominant player in the Austrian Bundesliga. That needs to happen another few levels now. And I can see a situation in 18 months' time where these two are actually reunited. And that's when Zobazai really starts to catch fire. Speaking of moments players, uh, Manchester United uh, have had the first glimpse of uh, Ahmad Diallo uh, signed from from Atalanta. Uh, It was around a £20 million initial fee that they agreed for him uh, in the summer transfer window, which obviously went into autumn. Um, And then he stayed at Atalanta in their Primavera team until January, Uh, but he's moved across now. Uh, He scored twice on his under-23s debut against Liverpool, uh, including a Penenka penalty, so that gives Gives you a good indication of where his confidence levels are at. <laughs> yeah. um, he, but throughout his time at Atalanta, he he was another one who you could make highlight reel after highlight reel because he's just so dynamic, so direct. You know, a, hu- a box of tricks, um, huge potential. Um, I think he did, yes, raise a few eyebrows uh, with the, with the fee that Manchester United uh, agreed, given that he really had not played any senior football. But I think. Long term, he's going to be sort of replacing Daniel James's minutes in this Manchester United team if Man United continue to 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 threaten to be a a, a title winning team again. It seems strange to say that, um, but you know you can't you can't ignore facts. Um, and when they're when they're dispatching of teams like Southampton nine nil, um, it's it's difficult to say that you know they're anything but a, a very ruthless attacking outfit. Uh, obviously, with the caveats of uh, Jankovic and, and Bednarek um, seen red in that game. And Southampton's mighty ability to capitulate. I mean, when they lose, wow. When they, they do lose. It, they do it good and proper, don't they? They do, yeah. They, I mean, I would first first of all, I would take Hasselhuttle as the manager of my team every day of the week, even if it meant we lost 9-0 every single year once. That's fine. The trade-off is actually worth it. So no bother there. Whatever. Wipe it under the carpet. But uh, I've got quite a few friends who are Southampton fans, including my best mate. And uh, he's uh, not sure what to say at the moment. But... Uh, Maybe he should remember what he tried to say last time it happened. I don't know. But uh, back on Diallo, I mean, a very entertaining player, a wonderful technical player, full of great accelerations and bursts and mazy dribbles. And there's good creation off the back of it. Uh, I mean, I read I read Keese's, uh piece for your, for your Patreon on Diallo, which is extremely thorough, very in-depth and very, very good. So that's basically all you need to know about Diallo, exactly what Keese has, has written on the Scouted Patreon. And I think for United, I mean... This might this might be the end of the Sancho search, just because Diallo's favourite position is is the right hand side, cutting in. Um, he's got all the tools to become a really wonderful player, and yeah, we raise the eyebrows at the fee, you know, nineteen million, but you know, rising to somewhere between thirty and forty for an untried player that does seem a bit mental. But you know, Vinicius Junior joined Real Madrid off the back of a under seventeen tournament for forty million euros. This is just. This this is 21st century football. This is how scouting works now. The very, very best, particularly in those attacking midfield and wide forward positions, the very best that shine at youth level. They're not immune to huge transfer fees. And the thing I like about Diallo is he very much looks like a player who is happy to take everything in his stride. He just has fun on the pitch. There's a big fee, there's big expectations, but I don't think it's really going to bother him. Everything I've seen from him would suggest he will just kind of enjoy his football and take it in his stride. And that's exactly what you need. And you said, you know, he could be eating into Dan James's minutes soon. I hope it's even more than that. I really do. 
I really hope that he manages to stake a claim in the next 12 months to become the proper right winger for Man United. I suppose that that begs the question then, you know, where does where does Mason Greenwood fit in in that in that team then? Because obviously, you know, Greenwood has been playing well off the right, you know, towards the end of last season has hit a bit of a slump um, but which was always going to happen because of his you know hugely inflated XG uh, overperformance uh, towards the back end of last year but you know let's not forget you know Greenwood is a, is a very talented player but I do agree with the, the sentiment that you're saying there that that um, that Diallo is, is going to be uh, uh, you know a, a Manchester United calibre player uh, I don't think they would have spent or will spend 40 million on him um, if they didn't fully believe that and you know what Atalanta's Primavera we've, we've discussed on previous podcasts uh, on, on here um, you know it is it's a conveyor belt, you know, it's arguably the best um, when it comes to producing um, top level players in, in Italy from the Primavera, um, the under 19 setup there. So, you know, they've, they've got, uh, they've got history there. Um, Dejan Kulusevski's one we've discussed, um, but yeah, they, they, they know how to produce a player and um, Diallo does just appear to be one. Um, staying in Serie A though, uh, I've actually got a, uh, Quite an interesting move, um, one that perhaps we don't see too often. Sam, you said that you'd watched a little bit of this man uh, in the run-up to, to this podcast, um, and that is because it is Dennis Mann, uh, who is the latest addition to Parma, who are struggling in Syria this season, it has to be said, um, but they've spent around £12 million um, on Dennis Mann from FCSB, which, um, besides getting into the politics of it, used to be style Bucharesti uh, before the government staged a before the army staged a coup and changed the name and there was a lots of it, it got very messy basically um but it's it's one of my favorites um from from the january transfer window because dennis mann has been the man of the romanian top flight for the past 18 months i'd say um and starting this season uh, he got 14 goals and and five assists in 18 appearances for fcsb um and yeah, they were just a very, very exciting team, um, despite not being sort of the best. Uh, they were just very exciting, and and it was only a matter of time before he moved. Um, and and Syria does continue to be a, a good landing point for for Eastern European talents. Um, so yeah, I'm 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 happy to see him in Syria um, because uh, there's the the chance that I'll probably stumble across him uh, more often when I'm flicking through channels. But yeah, I mean, from what you saw, uh, Sam, what was what was the the standout for you with 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 the man, Dennis Mann? Well, it's actually someone I've I've kept an eye on, and it's been on my radar for for a good eighteen months, maybe even up to two years. Um, because one of the Ranks FC listeners is a Romanian guy who lives in Chicago, and when we went out to the US for a little for a two weeks of of, of work, um. We met up with a with a with a couple of the uh, the podcast listeners in Chicago, and uh, this Romanian guy turned up and said hello, and um, has been DMing me about Dennis Mann literally weekly ever ever since. <laughs> um, whether it's uh, Dennis Mann starts today, he's on the team sheet and sent me the team sheet, or Dennis Mann scored again today, or Dennis Mann's just back two assists, or Dennis Mann's playing for the Romanian under twenty ones. It's it's been relentless, and I'm not trying. I'm not saying it's annoying. It's, it's great. Like. I've been thoroughly aware of Dennis Mann, thanks to thanks to the, thanks to one of our listeners, and I've I've been sort of sporadically checking in and out. And uh, when his transfer went through to Parma uh, this winter, definitely caught my eye for obvious reasons. And he's an he's an interesting one. I don't know what the ceiling is um, because he's not that fast, and he's a winger. Because but then again, like he he gives me a very kind of Andrew Yarmolenko vibe in that he has a very upright running style. He's quite tall for a winger. 
has a beautiful shooting technique. It's so, so sweet. And he's left-footed, so cutting in off that that right flank and firing low and firing high with the left foot is from from range, from 18 yards, from 10 yards, whatever it is, is... He's, he's pretty automatic. It's, it's really interesting. It's a really reliable technique. He does give me a kind of Yarmolenko vibe. So from the one hand, I look at it and go, you lack the pace to be an elite wide forward. But that doesn't preclude you from having a Yarmolenko-like career, which you know lands you in the Champions League more often than not, gets you a move to somewhere like Borussia Dortmund. We don't talk about the West Ham thing, but he was very good <laughs> in Ukraine for Dynamo Kiev. And if Dennis Mann can become that kind of player, then that's a really, really successful career. And there is a part of me that also thinks he might be convertible to a striker. I think that too. I, I, that, that was what I was going to, to sort of butt in with. But yeah, there's something about, I think it's the, the, the physicality, you know, the element of him. You know, he's, it's not that he's a target man. It's not, it's not that he's this really, you know, a big handful. It's just that his finishing instinct, I think, is, is, is really, really on point. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean... Okay, he's not big and burly like Yarmolenko. And Yarmolenko used to play up front himself as well uh, for, for Dynamo Kiev on occasion. So th- there is another comparison there. Um, but he's a bit more slinky. He's a bit more subtle. The technique is probably stronger. There's less strength. Um, again, he's got very good close close control and technique. And I guess if you kind of, if you mashed Skamaka with Yarmolenko, you might get something approaching what I think Dennis Mann could be in two years. If you took out Skamaka's shin bones, so that he was about six <laughs> inches smaller. Um, yes, but Dennis, Dennis Mann's six foot odd, isn't he? Six, six one maybe. He's, he's, yeah. he's in that area, so doesn't have to. Doesn't we don't have to reduce his height completely? <laughs> but yeah, you, you, you're speaking to the, you're preaching to the choir here. If you're mentioning Gianluca Skamaka on on the Scouted Football podcast, Woo. he is. Um, yeah, he, he's going to be a player certainly. Mm. Uh, but yeah, Dennis Mann, it's 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 also an interesting move because Parma also have Valentin uh, Mihaila, who's also Romanian at Parma as well, uh, and they've also signed Joshua Zerxi on loan from uh, Bayern Munich. So I think the second half of the season, even if results don't pick up for them. I think they'll be interesting from certainly from an under twenty three perspective, um, because you know you don't sign that many young players if you don't intend on playing them to get you out of your your current situation. Um, and just on Romanian football, while while we're there, um, as much as it pains me to say it, I do think that Dennis Mann has a higher ceiling um, than my scouted football volume eight uh, baby, which was Florinel Coman, who. Was it has been termed the Romanian Mbappe before? Um, now is that by you? I, no, it's not. Funnily <laughs> enough, it isn't by me. Um, I would never, ever, ever make such such a comparison. Um, although I may have made similar ones about different players that I won't discuss. Um, but he, yeah, I, to, with with Florinel Coman, he's another one who's a wide player who also can really play as a, a centre forward, um, and he's just very fun. When I when I was watching F- FC SB, bloody hell, that's a mouthful. Games, um, it was always man who would be the more reliable. I just always got that that sense uh, that you know, if you wanted somebody to to put a chance away or to to make the right decision to not over dribble, it was going to be Dennis Mann. Um, so it's probably the right the right move uh, if if you know they've they've been watching plenty of FC SB, uh, they've they've gone for man instead of Coman, which I now realise are very similar names. Um, <laughs> But just moving moving on, um, and we, we spoke about 
Dominic Soboslai moving to the Bundesliga with with RB Leipzig, uh, and one of the one of the players in your yes column, your yes capital letters column, Sam was Kuadio Kone, who has swapped Toulouse for Borussia Mönchengladbach, um, and I have seen plenty of him carrying the ball because that is by far his standout attribute. Yeah, um, I think. I don't know what's in the water at Toulouse, but they appear to be some sort of finishing school for rangy, good ball-carrying midfielders with um, Ibrahim Sangare um, going to PSV and then, you know, Kone filling his place and now he's off to the Bundesliga. Um, you know, what what was it about Kone that made him a yes in your yes column? So, yeah, I stumbled across Kone back in the summer. Um, he'd basically been given a handful of opportunities at the end of last season for Toulouse because they were just dead and buried, weren't they? And and they knew that Sangare was going to be leaving in the summer. They knew that they were going to get relegated. So you might as well start blooding the youth. And I was actually writing some pieces for Bleach Report at the time uh, with the help of uh, Transfer Lab from Analytics FC. And the data analyst that I'd been working with sort of alerted me to the fact that Kone was, was pretty special uh, in a very small sample size, granted. But I took a look there and had a brief look in and out probably every every month or so leading up to January and then bang he's gone to he's gone to to Gladbach. I mean he's been loaned back for the rest of the season. Um so again he won't really hit the limelight until probably next summer at least but what an insurance policy to have for any one of those very talented central midfielders that Gladbach have that you know may well leave like Neuhaus is incredible, Dennis Zachariah is is just like perfect for so many top European teams in terms of what they need. I mean, if I was United, I'd buy him in a heartbeat. If I was Tottenham, I'd buy him in a heartbeat. And a club like Gladbach need to have a continuation policy. And in Kone, for like 9 million euros, this is this is a wonderful, wonderful pickup. And yeah, Kone's ball-carrying abilities are sensational. He's so graceful with the way that he carries and moves with the ball. He's so fluid. And he's growing and growing and growing. Like... When I, when I took a look at him back in the summer, was using the transfer lab tool. He was listed at five nine, which is like at least four inches off. Like he's he's he is not five nine. He's like <laughs> he's like six one, maybe six two, and I don't know where it stops. And for a player of that height already, and potentially to grow even grow even taller, to be that graceful and that shifty and that's smooth on the ball, it's really hard to find and really hard to do. I'm six foot four and I can't carry the ball like that. You know, it's 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 very difficult. So it's very aesthetically pleasing. And checking in on some of the team sheets for, for Toulouse this season, he's played probably majority of his games as, as one of the, as a box-to-box in a three, as one of the two number eights. But he's played maybe 25, 30% of his games as, as the deepest of the three as well, which gives you so much flexibility if you're Marco Rosa next season, if he's even there, um, to take a look at Kone and sort of mould him how you wish to. Because Kone is a player who I think right now absolutely best to unlock his athleticism and his graceful ball carrying. But in the future, you might choose to convert him into the uh, the, the, the highly sought after holding six, the disciplined player, the, the one that doesn't appear to grow anywhere anymore. They're so hard to find. And I think Kone has those strings to his bow potentially as well. I'm not trying to shoehorn him right now. Just let him breathe and let him let him grow. He's a wonderful watch, but this is a smart pickup for so many reasons. And one of them is he could be anything, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's that versatility, that dual ability, rather, that um, that you know he, he offers. You know, we talk about two in midfield presences, and you know they don't really come much better at sort of 19 years old. Um, and 
that's why, again, I think the Bundesliga is a good landing spot for him. Um, I think I like the fact that he's been loaned back because, again, he can he gets he will, he's he's a star man in league. You know, he he is he's going to get a continuation of regular football, which at that point in his career is the best thing for him. It doesn't matter where it is as long as it's at a competitive level. Um, you know, he's he's going to be playing. Uh, with with Zachariah hopefully next season under hopefully Marco Rosa and I think we could see you know in in terms of a double pivot there if you were going to use that um, Zachariah and uh, Kuadio Kone double pivot in a Gladbach team managed by Marco Rosa who you know if they do keep the likes of Florian Neuhaus um, you know Hoffman uh, ahead you know there's there's so much there that to, to watch essentially you know Gladbach are always good value when they're on telly in the Europa League they're always good value uh, because they're an exciting team they've got great individual players and you know that they're just they're exciting um, and I think w- the one area that I would perhaps like Kone to improve in um, would be maybe be sort of the covering of lateral spaces um, I think he's very good going sort of if you were playing FIFA with the end-to-end camera, he's very good going forwards and backwards. I think with, with him playing in this Gladbach team, you know, the likes of Remy Bensabayini, who likes to bomb forward, I think maybe he might want to improve his, his game in sort of those lateral spaces a little bit better, maybe shuffling across. But apart from that, you know, I'm, I'm splitting hairs at this point. He is a he's a very, very good prospect. Um, and yeah, he should, as you say, start of next season, hopefully with fans back in, in the Bundesliga, of course. Um, Hopefully there'll be um there'll be lots to look forward to. Yeah, it's a really good fit for Rosa as well. Just like their vertical, their vertical style, they're very like immediate style of football, if you know what I mean. Um, it's very intense and very quick and very direct. Not in a in a in a Sam Allardyce way, um, but in a, <laughs> in, a, in a quite a pleasing way. He's just perfect. Like it's such a good fit, and I, I it's just the guy that you definitely definitely want to be one half of your double pivot. It's just he's just. Yeah, he's got he's got so many he ticks so many boxes there. I just since the summer, since since finding him, I I've been grinning every time I see him or see him mentioned because he's just sometimes you take a shine to players and and he's one for me. Yeah, he's absolutely one that you that you take a shine to. Um, just before we move on to uh, sort of the the loan moves uh, that have taken place, of which there are plenty this January, there's one player who I'd be very keen to to talk about. Um, and that's that's Crepin Diata. Uh, he he's moved from from Club Brugge in Belgium to to AS Monaco for around twelve million pounds. And um, his, his again, it's another interesting story. You know, he's he's um, he's a very very direct player, uh, but not in the central midfield sense. You know, he's a he's a he's an out and out winger, um, if for want of a better phrase. But he also can come inside. You know, he's he's very good at going round players, getting to the byline. Um, Senegalese, uh, he's a close close friend of of Sadio Mane's. Um, that I read an interview which said that the the pair of them um, they they talk daily, um, which which is nice. I quite like that idea. Um, that you know, despite them being kept apart by club allegiances and and lockdowns and whatever, they they, uh, they remain in contact. But the reason that I'm I'm talking about Diata is because he's another Scandinavian product. Um, obviously, despite being Senegalese, his his first steps into um, into European football were, were in Scandinavia through the, the Oslo Football Academy and then uh, with Sarpsborg in, in Norway. Um, he then made it to, to Club Brugge and, and has done really well there. You know, he's, he's very, very capable of, of destabilising uh, opposition defences um, and, and really stretching the, the structures because he'll just run across the face of goal or run through 
a centre-back and a right-back pairing or a centre-back and a left-back pairing, depending on which side he's on. Um, typically on the right-hand side, that is. But, you know, he's he's a good long-distance ball carrier. You know, his, his, his dribbles tend to be sort of not in short, sharp bursts, but really good accelerations uh, with with the ball um very explosive so i'm i'm very pleased for for him that he's got a good move there and and i think france is a good step up from belgium um for, i think from here is where we'll see where his his uh, his ceiling can be um so yeah diata's definitely one that if uh, anybody's watching liga regularly um though I mean, they might not be watching any liga if they can't agree a tv rights deal um <laughs> But uh, for anybody who is who is keeping a keen eye on Liga, and then Diata certainly one that um, will be uh, will be a good one to to watch. Yeah, and for the first time in a while, mate, someone's joining Monaco in quite a good position, quite a good situation, isn't it? Because for the last couple of years, anyone joining Monaco is it's not been that, has it? It's since about two thousand and seventeen. It's been it's been a bit of a tough time for them at points. So it's nice to see uh, a young player, a young talented player in a good position joining Monaco when they're in a good space because that has not been the case. Uh, moving on uh, to some of the loan moves uh, and this one is it's kind of a, a bit of a cheat but um, it's an initial loan move and um, of course the big Premier League news was that Liverpool need a centre-back and they decided to get two on deadline day uh, and that was the signing of Ben Davis from Preston. But the more glamorous, the more high-profile one was, was of course, Ozan Kabak, uh, who signed from Schalke on an initial loan deal. Um, Sam, I really want to pick your brains here uh, because you you might want to set the record straight here. Uh, you, you had an appearance on the Sky Sports Football podcast and um, it seems that they, they may have may have had your pants down, have they? <laughs> oh, man. I just got a bit comfortable talking about you know the deal and... I used the phrase Liverpool have pulled Schalke's pants down on this deal and it, it, it they decided to turn it into a bit of a headline, which is fine. You know, needs must, needs must. Um, but the point I was making was was that it doesn't, right, at this point, it doesn't genuinely matter if Ozan Kabak is a potential world-class player, if he could become a good player, if he's not even that good at all. Schalke have screwed this up because we know their situation the bottom of the Bundesliga by a fair distance. They're they're a decent distance off even automatic safety, and they look pretty doomed. They've won a couple of games in the last twelve months. We know it's a rotten place, and we know that their accounts look really, really bad. They're at least two hundred million euros in debt. The pandemic hasn't helped them at all, and they're going to go down. They're in dire straits. Why then have they not only reduced their chances of staying up by? saying goodbye to Ozan Kabak on deadline day in January, but also not demanded at least more than like one and a half million pounds loan fee for him up front, because you could use that money. Have you seen your accounts? And furthermore, do you do realize that an option in a loan doesn't necessarily get taken up? So not even guaranteed the cash windfall that they're clearly going to need if they drop. And Liverpool have been very clever here because they've been able to get a very talented young defender through the door at a time of desperate, desperate need in a time where most clubs in the same position would get strong-armed into paying double or triple or paying a huge contract out or putting clauses in. You know, they'd be in a really tough spot. Liverpool have somehow come out the winners here despite the fact that they literally have no senior centre-backs. All three of them are out for the rest of the season. I don't know how Michael Edwards does this. I really don't understand. And the beauty of the deal for Liverpool is that Kabak could be 
He could be great and they could make him permanent for an extremely reasonable fee considering the potential position and age. About 25 million he'll cost. If they don't, if, if, if he's okay, if they don't want to and they feel like he's going to compromise their long-term ambitions and he's going to compromise the overall plan, if Joe Gomez, John Matip and Virgil van Dijk are all going to come back and they're going to be okay, then they don't even have to make him permanent. And then Schalke just did it all for nothing, didn't they? They went down without Kabak and now they've got to sell him and he'll probably get even less. I, I, it's just it's just kind of mad, Joe. I don't know how they do it. It's okay, Sam. It's okay, I promise. It's all going to be okay. <laughs> Unless you're Schalke, of course. Um, it's just you speaking about Schalke's accounts there. I was sort of gazing off into the distance uh, and, and looking at one of my houseplants, which is very, very sad at the moment because... I realise that I've neglected it a fair bit. And it just, it, it looks a bit like Schalke, to be honest. <laughs> oh, um, it, it's, it is a bit strange, like when you look at the particulars of the deal. I mean, 1.5 million is nothing. It's it's nothing to, to Liverpool um, for, for six months, effectively. Um, you know, they, they, they pay more in weekly wages to their front three than they will for uh, for Kabak uh, on a monthly basis. You know what I mean? So mm. it, it's nothing to them. Um, and, and to think that Liverpool were over a barrel, you know, they have no centre-backs. Everybody in world football knows that. Jurgen Klopp said that, you know, it's unlikely that Van Dijk will play again this season. We know about Joe Gomez's injury history, so why would you unnecessarily risk him? Um, and the fact that they were going after a championship central defender um, says a lot about, you know, where they were and where, they, where their priorities lie. They just needed a body. So if you're Schalke, you play hardball, or you'd think, wouldn't you? But yeah, the the option. I mean, it's I'm a little bit I'm, I'm a little bit sick as a parrot at this one because apparently, uh, according to the BBC, um, Kabak was going to undergo a medical to sign for Newcastle uh, before Liverpool swooped in. Now, even the most ardent Newcastle fan in the world, if you offer the chance to play for the Premier League champions over Steve Bruce's Newcastle United on deadline day. You know, it's 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 going to be one of those decisions where you take about four seconds to decide. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can see why that has happened. But considering that half of Newcastle's centre-backs are, are out of contract at the end of the season, I think it's Federico, well, Kieran Clark was, but Federico Fernandez, who's been very good for Newcastle, um, he is out of contract. Uh, you know, could have done with Ozan Kabak, um, especially given that, you know, the it's not exactly looking great. It's a bit of a mini Schalke going on, just not in the financial sense. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's 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 a it's a strange situation. Um, and and obviously Liverpool have got the the, the best out of that move. Um, it'll be interesting to see him in the in the uh, the Premier League. He is known for for being rather brutish and and, and powerful at, um, at at attacking set pieces. So you know there might be um, there might be a threat in the opposition box from a Liverpool sense now. Yeah, I mean so. I've tried to watch as much Ozan Kabak as I can over the last 12 months because I've been aware of his his potential and people have been talking about and flagging him. And I watched as much Schalke as I could in the post-lockdown part of June and July, mostly to watch Weston McKenney, actually. Uh, but obviously, you're watching the whole team there. And it has been very difficult when you're watching Kabak not to just think the entire time, wow, Schalke rubbish. <laughs> like, that's, that's the overriding feeling through all of it. And it's it's you have to like really concentrate on these individual players to really understand and see their strengths because they're swimming in a pile of shit. And you had to <laughs> you had to you I really had to work hard with McKenney. And it, it struck me that 
actually know he's good. And if you gave him some like relatively decent colleagues, he'd look even better. I never thought he'd go Juve. Like to be clear, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to say I was in that from the start. I thought Southampton or Villa would be a decent stepping stone move for Weston McKenney, but Kabak's the same. And so anyone that's worried about you know getting a player coming out of such a wretched team, just look at McKenney as the example. And Kabak's aggressive. He dominates in duels. He wins a lot of aerials. Yes, he can maybe cross the line a little bit sometimes, but the physical profile is there. And look, I mean. Is it's going to cost one and a half million. Like this is an unbelievable win in a, in a situation that looked totally and utterly dire. Exactly. I think that's probably the best way of, of putting it. Um, on on the topic of loan deals and questionable decisions, um, I'm, this may come back to bite me if he has an absolute storm in six months. But Ainsley Maitland Niles going to West Bromwich Albion on loan uh, under Sam Allardyce. Uh, obviously, they're marooned in the bottom three. It looks like a very high risk move because you know a loan move as such goes wrong, then you know you are constantly tarnished as the the player who went to play in midfield in West Brom, and it just didn't really work out for him. And he, he'll be sort of, I don't want to say doomed, but doomed to to a career at, at right back, um, which is clearly where he doesn't want to be. Um, otherwise, he wouldn't have forced through this this move to to West Brom. And th- to me, it just seems very strange that nobody else higher in the table. Uh, was was willing to take him and and give him that midfield role. I mean, Newcastle got Joe Willock on loan uh, from Arsenal. I know they're different players, but I would have sooner gone with Maitland Niles than Willock. But I know I know there are various sort of um, intricacies of, of of deals, which mean that you know finances dictate sometimes. But Maitland Niles to West Brom, Sam, talk to me. I'm with you, mate. I, I don't. I know that Maitland Niles wants to play in central midfield, and he's not going to be able to do that at Arsenal, but if I had the choice of sticking it out at Arsenal or going to West Brom, I'd have just chosen to stick it out. I really would have. Um, I don't really know what he's going to achieve from this because this team are doomed. They're like, they're just really not very good. And whether you want to insert yourself into that sort of situation is a different question. But man, I don't. I just don't. I feel like he's just got too impatient, too fast. So you have to take the right opportunity. We've been talking today about. Taking, making the right moves and taking the opportunities that suit you. We started talking about this in this podcast with Dominic Zobersly, making the correct move and not rushing into too much too soon or rushing into the wrong situation. And like, yeah, okay, I guess it's probably a bit tough for him not to play football. Um, but I, I don't see as I don't see how he wins out of this. He's going to be relegated, right? He's going to get a relegation in this CV. And if he puts together eight performances in central midfield. I mean, what's it genuinely going to do for him in the context of that team? So I'd love to be proved wrong because I am a fan of Maitland-Niles. I also happen to think he's better at right back than he probably thinks he is. Like he clearly doesn't want to play there, but there's, there's a reason people keep doing it. Uh, people keep playing him there. I, I really don't think he's that bad there at all. In fact, I think he kind of suits quite a lot of the modern fullback tenets that we see. Um, and his ability to surge into space, those big touches that he takes, and when he pushes forward and, and, and drives with impetus, not necessarily going to be there in a Sam Allardyce midfield, but could be there as a wing-back or a full-back. So, yeah, I don't know, mate. I can't, I'm kind of with you. Uh, I don't really see it. And I wish the best of luck to Joe Willock as well, because Willock is okay. He's, he's, I think he got overhyped, as all Arsenal Academy graduates do. Um, he's an okay player. Again, quite good driving forward with the ball. And he could be the guy that links the defence to the attack in a much more cohesive way. But again, it's about picking your loan moves. And... 
Steve Bruce doesn't really coach players, does he? He doesn't improve players. He buys 29-year-olds and he asks for six more strikers whenever things go bad. He doesn't really set his team up with much tactical instruction or and he doesn't really coach or get make make players better. I don't really I can't really point to any players like particularly midfielders and creative players that have got better under Steve Bruce. I mean maybe because Graham Jones is there now everything's going to be saved, but I don't know, man. Again, rather than the club this time, this is about the manager. If I was Arsenal, I wouldn't have sent anybody to Steve Bruce. <laughs> well, unless it was a punishment, of course. <laughs> unless it was my worst player. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah, with Maitland Niles, um, just briefly going back to to him, there is, yeah, there, there is a reason why he continues to play sort of a, a right back, and I, and I agree. You know, there's there is there is credence to say that he is actually a better player there. I think it'll be interesting to see that if push comes to shove, if there are injuries in this West Brom team, if he ends up playing as a right wing back in that team or a right back in that team, um, because Allardyce has has no other option um, or he has no, no better option. Yeah, um, because he's probably the best right back in their team now. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, he's played right back for Arsenal, so you know, kind of by by you know trial and error, you'd probably say he probably is better. I mean, they've got Ivanovic, don't they? Yeah, I mean, they've got they've got they've got a couple of players there that, uh, let's be honest, they're just not like not that good. Um, and so they've also got a midfield selection which has just been boosted by you know sp- supposedly Maitland Niles, but um, okay, Yakuzla as well. Um, and you've got Conor Gallagher in there who's playing pretty well. You've got Jake Livermore. He's not great, to be fair, at this point. And Romain Sawyers is a, is a relative ever-present. So unless you want to just fill the midfield with new boys and young players, so you've got like the inexperience of Conor Gallagher and the inexperience plus the freshness of Maitland-Niles and the fact that, okay, Yakuzlu has just arrived from Cells of Ego, I can quite conceivably see Sawyers, Gallagher, Yakuzlu and Maitland-Niles at wing-back. Like, I can see it happening. And then what's the point? It does seem like a bit of a waste, doesn't it? That's, uh, it's, a, it's a shame. And if, and if that happened, if that happens, mate, he should have gone to Southampton and just played and just, just covered Carl Walker-Peters and played a bit of midfield. Like, because that would have been a better shout, right? That's true. Or, or Wolves. And they could have saved, he could have saved Wolves some money in, in going for Nelson Semedo. Yeah. Um, but hey, we're not here to lecture Ainsley Maitland-Niles on his career decisions. Um, that is for his representatives to do. Um, on to some better loan moves. Uh, and there is uh, there, there's some new blood in the championship. Uh, and, and Blackburn had, had previously done some, some good business earlier this season in acquiring Harvey Elliott on loan from Liverpool, which has gone spectacularly well. Um, he is he's got a good partnership with Adam Armstrong there, who is is another fantastic young player who's really hit his groove this season. Um seems to, it takes around five shots per game, does Armstrong. So, you know, servicing him must be very fun for Elliot. Um but at centre back, they they already had um Jared Branthwaite on loan from Everton, who was born in two thousand and two, and they've just added another O2 centre back in Taylor Harwood Bellis from Manchester City. And this is the one I'm really excited about because it's his first real taste of senior football. He's had a few appearances for Manchester City here and there, but he is he's a leader. I think is probably the best way to to just to surmise him in one word. Um, you know, he he's led sort of the, the under twenty three team from the age of eighteen. You know, he's he's very vocal. Uh, I think he he won't have any issues fitting right in. He's the type. I feel like he's the type of player who will just 
just acclimatized because you know he has no other choice and also i think it helps that you know blackburn manchester it, it's very close in proximity um so it's not going to feel as though he's too far away from home or out of his comfort zone um i think he's probably championship ready uh he's probably the best center back out of city's academy setup in quite a while um and he's also sported a skinhead in many of his previous appearances uh which i mean if you're a striker it may not bother you but if i was a striker and i was coming up against a six foot four skinhead who was very vocal and played for manchester city and was a stockport boy uh i'd probably shit myself so <laughs> you know there's there's an element here that you know he's he's probably not going to be too scared of the lucas jutkovitz's of the championship uh, so, you know, I, I wish him all the best. I think he's a he, he's a city boy, you know, born and bred. And I'm really, really hoping that he can he can do something there. Just briefly going back to uh, a permanent move. And it's one which has been, you know, maybe an Ecuador, a transfer saga, but uh, has been uh, purported that he was interesting a number of clubs. Brighton were always sort of at the forefront. Um, I, I'm saying that Taylor Harwood-Bellis, that was a... a, a a smart move to, to Blackburn for, for probably many parties involved there. Um, but talking of smart moves, you know, Brighton are never too far from the conversation and they've signed uh, Moises Caicedo from Independiente del Valle uh, in Ecuador. And as your left field transfer of the January window, I think this is very much up there, uh, but it's, it's one that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and um, in in Brighton's trouble to find the back of the net this season, they have signed a player who can find the back of the net from range. Um, and Sam, he is vehemently in your yes column. So I'm going to I'm gonna leave the floor to you on, on Moises Caicedo. Yeah, very, uh, very weird, isn't it? I mean, go back five, five years or something like that when Brighton were back in the championship and you say to someone, hey, in five years time, you're going to be a Premier League side and you're going to be signing highly rated, like, like as in highly rated as in, talked about as the best midfielder coming out of South America who is 20 years of age or or younger. You'll be signing those players for four and a half million pounds. They're going to become, come to play on the Playa del Brighton. I mean, that is just, there's a, there's, a, there's a Latin South American influence at Brighton at the moment. And this kind of fits in with that. In fact, to be fair, you take a look at their under-23s and reserves and loan list. They do, they do scour the world, don't they? It goes under the radar a little bit, but there's so many players on their books uh, that you look at and think, oh, that's interesting. Oh, how have they spotted that? Oh, and Moises Caicedo, they've basically just had to play the waiting game for, haven't they? They waited most of December and all of January. And on the final day, they got their man. Uh, there was a really good piece from Rory Smith in the New York Times about how the complications over the deals and the sheer number of agents and demands that Caicedo had basically just put everybody off. And Bryson just kind of sat there and went, we'll take you if you want us. And they just waited like four, 50 days <laughs> and then and then finally at the end of the window they went yeah go on then we'll, we'll sign you so four and a half million you know one of the themes running through a lot of these transfers particularly with someone like Kabak is there's very little risk attached to these deals and with Caicedo for four and a half million pounds there's just very little risk it's the kind of transfer that would not have been able to happen last January I think but because of the new uh, regulations in place post-Brexit he actually qualifies in a way that he didn't used to. And this opens up a whole world of transfers for Premier League teams. And I think a lot of teams would have looked at this transfer and gone, huh, we could sign players from Ecuador. Interesting. Didn't know we could do that. And Caicedo, 
to be fair, shouldn't be that much of a secret because he's a full Ecuador international. And all right, it's not the greatest South American qualifying team, but it's an up and coming one. It's a developing one. It's got a nice young cluster of players. Ecuador have been sensational at youth level for the last two or three years. Interestingly, though, Joe, I know you've probably watched this as well. I've seen Ecuador play under under 18, under 20 level. I saw him at the World Cup. I saw him at the South American qualifiers. I do not remember watching Moises Caicedo play for these teams. Have I gone mad or was he not there? No, I haven't. I, I don't recall seeing him either. Um, it's the under 20 World Cup, unless I'm unless having I've overlooked him massively, I do not remember seeing him at, at those tournaments. No. Um, but it's so it is, it's one that's come on very very fast, hasn't it? You know, and and on that the the Brexit point, it's quite interesting because you know it, it is through his appearances in I can't remember if it's either the Copa Sudamericana, which is the South American Europa League, or the Libertadores, um, which is the big one. Um, his appearances for Independiente del Valle in that competition, which obviously will have earned him mm. quite a lot of points in the new uh, Brexit transfer system, which means that you have to have fifteen points. Um, to qualify for uh, to for, for a work permit, essentially uh, in in the post Brexit UK, um, and if if it's something like if you have ten points between ten and fifteen, you can apply for sort of special dispensation, and then it'll go to a panel or something like that. I think Caicedo passed uh, the, that test, so to speak, um, and yeah, four point five million. It's low risk. It's really low risk. You know, Brighton make what. 20 times that in their TV revenue for one year. Moises Caicedo, it's almost absolutely certain if he plays a decent amount of football at Brighton over the next two, two and a half years, he will obviously move on for much more than that. Because as much as, you know, we like Brighton's recruitment and their structure and Tony Bloom, what he's got going on there, they are more of a, you know, they're a selling club, so to speak, because they they will have to offload some of their best players um, if they do sort of hit the heights. We've seen that already with the links to Yves Bissouma, um, you know, being linked to Arsenal as, and such. So Moises Caicedo perhaps could be sort of that replacement if Bissouma were to move on. You know, he's got that box-to-box presence. Um, I think obviously the step up at first will be a little bit difficult for him. Um, but that's why you bring in a player bef- to replace another before that player has actually left, if that makes sense and isn't all too convoluted. Yeah, it's a continuation policy. It's basically what we've been talking about with Coadio Kone. And you know, we hope that he'll be able to play in the same midfield as Dennis Zakaria. There's every chance that that doesn't happen. And he is the new Dennis Zakaria. And if that's the case, then fair enough. It's smart scouting. It's the continuation. It's the preservation policy. It's the sort of thing that basically every club in this world needs to do other than Real Madrid and Barcelona and maybe Man United. Like every club's a selling club except for like three. That's just the cold, hard reality of it. So well done to Brighton for 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 identifying him. Although to be fair, like as a fully fledged Ecuador international winner, an undroppable piece of a young, a new young Ecuador side He's not the biggest secret in the world, but it's still a plunge. You're still taking a player from the Ecuadorian league. Like it's not, it's not the most obvious thing to do in the world. No way. So well done to them. And I think again, similar to Kone, he's a box to box player. He's got good athleticism. I don't think he's an outstanding athlete. And I think his positional attitude and his intelligence and his awareness of what's going on around him does shine through a little bit more than the kind of explosiveness that you'd expect. But I do think he's also that kind of candidate like Kone, where if you wanted to give him six to 12 months of tutelage, I think he could actually become a very, very good, more disciplined midfielder, much more of a number six than a number eight. So 
he's multiple putty in the hands of Graham Potter. He can do what he wants with him. He can learn from Bissouma for the next six months. I think I'm right in saying he hasn't played a game since mid-December. So he's six months behind, six weeks behind, Jesus, on fitness. It's been a long year. Um, six weeks behind <laughs> on, on fitness. And he's a 19-year-old adapting to a new culture. I know Brighton have a beach, but it's not that similar to Ecuador, trust me. So, um, <laughs> we're not going to see much of him, but that's okay. He can take his time and he can adapt. And I think they've picked up a really quite a special player here for, for zero risk. Uh, I did actually learn two quite cool things about Moises Caicedo that I, I already said on the Ranks FC podcast, but in case you haven't heard. Um, one, he's re- apparently he's like exceptional at maths, right? Which... To be fair, for any footballer, it's pretty cool. It's it's pretty rare. Um, He's also one of 10 brothers. 10? And they're all brothers? They're all brothers. I mean, it's a good job he's good at maths because he's going (laughs) to need to count, isn't he? (laughs) Well, as I say, I mean, that's probably why he got so good at maths. Had to count his brothers all the time. Um, Yeah, anyway, just little nuggets there. I picked those up in 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 an article from Tom Robinson, who uh, I'm sure some... I'm sure you're familiar with, I'm sure scouted football followers are as well, someone who covers South America extremely well. Yeah, there's this certainly um, the scope for a, a Netflix miniseries of um, Alexis McAllister, Moises Caicedo and Stephen Alzates, sort of a South American trio uh, at Brighton, <laughs> sort of the, with the, the, the culture and everything. Yeah, there's there's been a plethora of moves um, uh, across Europe and across the world. Uh, obviously, a lot of the ones that we've focused on today have sort of been into England or into Europe. Um, but there's uh, yeah, I think that just goes to show that there is there's talent everywhere. There's there's, there's quality um, to be found even in the Ecuadorian Primera. So yeah, but um, if you'd like to to hear more about uh, transfers and and that sort of thing uh, and and just more of Sam then get yourself over to the Ranks FC podcast and get subscribing to their Patreon uh, because one hour a week of of Sam, Dean and Jack is just not enough really Um, so yeah get yourself over there if you can Um, Sam where can where can people find you apart from on the the Ranks FC podcast yeah on Twitter is Football and Instagram is the same my surname is spelled T-I-G-H-E so every letter following the I is totally and utterly useless. You could thank my <laughs> thank my ancestors for that. Uh, I'm quarter Irish, and I don't. I, maybe I can. Maybe I'll, I'll put my foot in the in in the sand one day and just change my name to T I because that's all the that letters you need. Although then I might be a bit more like Lee Tai, former Everton player and, and, and yeah. Chinese playmaker. So I wouldn't want to. Don't want to confuse myself with Lee Tai. Okay, I'll have a think about it. But in the meantime. On Twitter, Estai Football, same as Instagram. And of course, the podcast is where I do most of my stuff anyway. Yeah, so definitely get following Sam if you want to find out if he does, in fact, change his name by deed poll to <laughs> reflect Lee Tai uh, and his Everton stint. Um, but yes, if you'd like to know more about our latest handbook release, number nine, uh, visit our Twitter at scoutedftbl or sfhandbook.com. Uh, all the information you need can be found there. Uh, and if you've enjoyed this episode, um, as always, please leave us a review. Tell us how you feel. Um, I promise the feedback will get back to me. Uh, I read it all, even the mean stuff. So play nice. Um, but yeah, that's it. That is everything from this week's instalment of the Scouting Football Podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. Stay safe. Uh, take care of yourselves. And you'll be hearing from us again very soon. Bye-bye.